Everyone faces challenges every single day. Some are chosen and bring us joy. Some are given to us and bring struggle or pain. Whether the diagnosis of an illness, the news of a friend's death, the loss of a job, or a bike accident, we may be asked to step up to face issues that demand courage and perseverance. Hurt is just one of the many aspects of full lives. Each week on this show, ACT, Taking Hurt to Hope, Dr. Joanne Dahl helps us understand how we can use acceptance and commitment therapy to learn to accept what we cannot change and move forward into a valued life. Now, here's your host, Dr. Joanne Dahl. Welcome to ACT, Taking Hurt to Hope. Today we're having a discussion about a potentially dangerous psychological disorder called depression. People who suffer from depression are more susceptible to medical illnesses and possible suicide and may even have a shorter lifespan. About 60% of people who become depressed are likely to become depressed again. Statistically, most depressions last for about six months. For others, depression can go on for years. So certainly, depression is something to watch out for and know what kind of help to get as early as possible. Today, you're going to get a chance to talk to an expert on depression and an expert on the leading treatment method called behavior activation. Behavior Activation is a fellow traveler with ACT. And Dr. Christopher Martel is a psychologist and depression researcher. He has taught at the Department of Psychiatry and Behavior Sciences at the University of Washington. He supervised PhD students in psychology. And he's currently a clinical associate professor at the Department of Psychology at the University of Wisconsin in Milwaukee. Dr. Martel writes, consults, and speaks internationally about behavior activation therapy and maintains a private psychotherapy practice, which he's had for 23 years. Christopher has written a number of books on this subject, including a workbook for individuals dealing with depression that's called Overcoming Depression One Step at a Time that he wrote with Dr. Michael Addis. You can read more about Christopher and uh, and his book on leading online booksellers on his homepage, which you can get to by clicking on his name on this week's episode of ACT, Taking Hurt to Hope. ACT and Behavior Activation are both built on the same principles, which is opening up to what you're experiencing, which in this case could be sad emotions and negative thoughts, becoming aware of the transitory nature of these thoughts and sensations, and also that you are not your thoughts or your feelings. And then thirdly, engaging in valued action, which in this case might be engaging in activities that you've previously loved and when you don't feel like doing them. I want to welcome my friend Christopher. Hello. Yes, welcome, Christopher. Hello. Hello, did you... You can't hear me? I can hear you, yes. 
Yes, so welcome. <laughs> it's nice to be here. Thank you. So, Christopher, uh, depressed people are not happy campers to be around. So what got you interested in working with depression? Well, I became a psychologist in the first place because I really wanted to have a profession that would have meaning and be helpful to people. And depression, as you've said, affects a lot of people. In fact, some people have referred to it as the common cold of behavioral or psychological problems. Mm -hmm. And so in working with depression, it allowed me to work with people, with a lot of people who are affected by this. And I also, being a human being, have known a number of people in my personal life who are depressed and, and understand what the struggle is like. And uh, it working specifically with depression um, provided me to, to expand what I was doing in terms of, I, as you had said, I had been in private practice for a lot of years and then was able to take my experience as a psychotherapist and be a research therapist on studies uh, being conducted at the University of Washington. And now I think I'm able to help even more people because I, I'm not doing a private practice these days, but have taken all that experience and I'm able to train others around the world to work with people who are depressed. Christopher, um, I don't think many people know that um, something you and I have in common, and that's that you and I grew up in Vermont. That's correct. <laughs> in the wonderful fabulous state of Vermont. Yes. Yeah, that we both miss. Um, do you think, uh, you know, when growing up in Vermont, I think I never heard of anyone being depressed. Did you? Um, I'm trying to think growing up. I think I just didn't, uh, I didn't, uh, I wasn't in tune to it at that point. Um, I mean, I think growing up, being an adolescent, even in Vermont, can sometimes be a sort of depressing time. <laughs> yeah. And I think just everybody just had their emotions. Um, uh, I certainly know people, even people from Vermont, who are depressed. <laughs> um, so. so this is not a, a modern phenomena? No, no, not, not at all. I think that we, you know, interestingly, there are... Uh, there's an, in some ways an exponential increase in the amount of people with depression um, in the post-industrial era, and there are maybe lots of reasons for that. Um, uh, but it's not a modern phenomenon. Well, Christopher, can you help us understand like what, what depression is? Sure. Um, I think of depression as... Uh, basically, uh, it, it's a series of events, often negative events that occur in a person's life, some for which the individual may not even be any longer aware of because the, the things that may have just happened throughout one's life from the time one was very young and a person's response to those events. Mm -hmm. So, hopefully what you and your listeners will notice is that I'm not saying that depression is a medical disorder. 
Mm-hmm. Um, we know we note it as a medical disorder. It's understood by many um, as a psychiatric problem. Mm-hmm. But the the behavioral activation model proposes that um, it really is the 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 con context or the the events that occur in a person's life and our our response and our the first thing to respond to a negative life event or to a history of of negative life events or even just a history of lots of hassles in life it doesn't have to be a major trauma mm-hmm. our first response is in our bodies mm-hmm. right and so in our bodies we may begin to feel more fatigued um, we interpret those feelings as, as being blue and struggling. Um, and so, uh, we then have a natural reaction to that. You know, if you're feeling fatigued, mm-hmm. you want to go to bed, you want to lay down, you want to stop doing things. If you begin to lose interest in activities, it makes sense that you, that you rest, it, you rest. Yes. Mm-hmm. And you engage less in those activities. Well, Krista, how do you explain that uh, some people can go through all kinds of negative events and do just fine, and other people go through maybe fewer such and are very influenced? But is there a difference between? Sure. And when I say that I don't see depression or the, the behavioral model we don't consider depression a medical illness per se. That doesn't, uh, we're not denying the fact that part of the, the entire picture, or, you know, we use the word context a lot, the whole context in which depression occurs doesn't um, include uh, biological factors. We, we absolutely believe that biological factors are involved. Mm-hmm. And so, we all come into the world with certain strengths and with certain vulnerabilities. And I don't think we fully understand what vulnerabilities there are. Mm -hmm. I I think that medical science has some things to say biologically and neurobiologically. Mm -hmm. Um, But I think that it's always a combination of the, the physiological vulnerabilities that we're born with Mm -hmm. and then starting with, our histories from the time we're born until the present day that combine to where some people are resilient to horrible, horrible life events and others feel like they're less resilient even to minor things, Mm -hmm. which by the way, when someone's depressed often makes people feel like there's really something wrong with them because they see, you know, they hear the wonderful stories about people who have coped with terrible tragedies Mm-hmm. And then they feel blue because, you know, something that that others might consider minor has mm-hmm. negatively affected them. I think that all makes sense because we all have different vulnerabilities. Okay, Christopher, um, I know that you travel a lot, and um, and here where I live in Scandinavia, actually, um, they uh, talk of the Finnish people say that pessimism is a natural trait. I wonder, do you, have you seen that there are any cultural differences in depression? Um, not, not really. I think um, 
you mean the Finnish people say that for people in Finland, pessimism yeah. is a natural trait? Yeah, it's sort, um, it's sort of a joke, but um, it there is, you know, I think, you know, as an American, there are different ways of uh, seeing things. And in the Scandinavian countries, there's this, um, I think it's called the tall poppy syndrome uh, in Australia, uh, where you tend to um, look at things uh, negatively, skeptically, so that you won't be disappointed. Well, and I think I think that way of looking at the world probably exists in some form everywhere. Mm-hmm. I do think I don't think that depression per se is is a different animal in some ways, depending on where you are. But certainly how people respond to the phenomenon. So in some countries, for example, um, the there's much more stigma to being depressed or an expectation that you will just pull yourself up um, out of it and that if you can't get out of it, you'd be weak. Um, I think that in some ways there are different climates even, um, you know, environmental climates that might contribute to people being depressed more often, you know, in sort of cold, dark countries, you have what's often people refer to as cabin fever, you know, mm-hmm, and, mm-hmm. um, but I, I think there are those differences. Certainly there are differences in how people, in what people believe about whether, uh, you should or shouldn't have a positive attitude all the time. I mean, even for me, coming from the United States, it, that even varies in terms of regions of the country. I mean, there are some parts of the country in the U.S., let alone going in other parts of the world, where people um, believe that there's some magic to thinking positively, mm-hmm. and other parts of the country where people would really accept that you, you just need to work hard and that life is full of adversity. Mm-hmm. So there are lots of differences, really, in how people approach that. Mm. So, Christopher, tell us, what is behavioral activation? So, behavioral activation is a treatment that, it's been around for decades, um, and it is based on this, this behavioral idea that about life events and our response to life events contributing to becoming depressed. And it's a, an approach to help people to um, cope with their depression and Um, manage their lives and hopefully feel better, although we can't guarantee that. Mm -hmm. It, it follows the principles exactly like what the, the name implies behavioral activation that a therapist, um, doing behavioral activation works in a role. We see ourselves in the role as a coach Mm -hmm. trying to help people who naturally because of their depression naturally feel like kind of shutting out from the world. Mm-hmm. Our goal is to be a coach to help them re-engage in the world. Mm-hmm. And the reason we need to be a coach is because when you're depressed, that's really, really difficult. Mm-hmm. Um, but we think that that's essential, that one of the features of depression is this is the, the withdrawal and withdrawing from friends, avoiding activities that maybe feel challenging. Um, We have an expression, we talk about people brooding or Mm. ruminating a lot when they're depressed. Which means they think a lot. That means they think a lot. It means that um, when when you're feeling badly, it's it's an easy trap to get into of, of 
being kind of stuck thinking about how miserable you feel without being able to find a way out. Mm -hmm. So behavioral activation is a treatment that's meant to um, help people find their way out. And even with all those negative feelings, Mm -hmm. even with the brooding and the thinking, to begin to get active again and systematically, little by little, re-engage in the present in activities that they may have formerly enjoyed but no longer do or that are simply important activities and meaningful activities for them. Uh, so, Christopher, this is, a, this is a pretty radically different thing if you think about how we commonly think of um, in, in our common language, we'd say, I don't feel like going or um, uh, I don't f- I'm depressed uh, because uh, I'm, I'm laying in bed. Or I, I, we think about that the feeling has to change before we actually do the activity in common language. Right. And we actually have an expression for that. We say that that's working from the inside out. Mm-hmm. And and it is a common belief um, that, uh, in fact, in the 60s, in the U.S. anyway, and probably in parts other parts of the world, there was the expression, if it feels good, do it, which also implies if it feels bad, don't do it. Yeah. Um, the problem is when you're depressed, so many things feel bad that you end up not doing much at all. Mm-hmm. And so we say that that's acting from the inside out, waiting to feel a certain way before we act mm-hmm. um, can be problematic. So we invite clients, because we're therapists, we're seeing clients, but people who are depressed to act from the outside in. Mm-hmm. We, we, it, this is obviously a metaphor, but the outside in, what we would say is that you commit to an activity, we would work with a person to try and structure those activities so that they're more or less doable. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then you commit to doing the activity regardless of how you feel from the inside. Mm -hmm. Engage in the activities and our hope is that doing this, you know, in, in a sense from the outside, doing the activity because you've committed to doing it or it's in a schedule. The more you do those kinds of things, mm-hmm. the hope is that you then begin to feel better as well. Okay. Or even if you don't feel better, that your life is better. Okay. So would the, is the thought there, Christopher, that um, once you kind of get into the movement of doing, say, for example, dancing, if you'd like to dance before, that when you get into the movement, that you would be more probably get into contact with with the joy of it? Yes. You, absolutely. We, we think about, you know, action breeds action, mm-hmm. just like inertia breeds inertia. Mm-hmm. And we can't guarantee the joy, but by engaging, you know, we can't guarantee that if someone does engage in the activity that they will experience the joy of it again right away. Yeah. But we can guarantee that if you don't engage in it, mm-hmm. you're never going to have the opportunity to experience the joy. Okay. So it's sort of like giving yourself the opportunity. Absolutely. Yes. Christopher, do you have an example of how you might work with behavior activation with someone who's depressed? Sure. Um, So um, thinking about uh, a a person that I worked with at one point, and um, obviously for confidentiality's sake, I'll 
put put a number of people together. Okay. But uh, but a, a person who uh, I worked with who had um, had a relationship end horribly, which is unfortunately a common experience that many of us can relate to. Yeah. Um, even when they don't end horribly, a relationship ending can be a, a, a trigger for a lot of sadness. Yeah. And sadness isn't depression, but for this person, um, his sadness did turn into depression mm. um, over time, partly because the response to the sadness was to stop um, being in contact with friends mm-hmm. because there were mutual friends for this individual and the former partner. Um, and, you know, sometimes we think that, you know, we, our friends are going to judge us, et cetera, if there's been a breakup or that friends choose sides. So this individual had been withdrawing from friends, um, needed actually to move to a, 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 an entirely different locale, move back in with family for a while for financial because of financial problems and and was then struggling because of having to move with finding a, a job that was up to to his capabilities. Mm-hmm. so it was un, underemployed. So all of these factors that were what we would refer to as the life events. And then, when when I started to work with this person in behavioral activation, we identified the life events, but then also some goals that that he wanted. So he wanted to find a more meaningful line of work. He wanted to not have to live with family anymore, but to earn enough money to be able to find a place independently mm-hmm. and really wanted to have another relationship. You can't have a relationship if you're withdrawn socially. If you st- if you sit in your room, the relationship is not going to just appear. No. So we we would work from week to week, planning small steps. So it, it we started with um, actually that for this person, and as I always work with individuals, I would look at what what might be the most important thing for them, and that's decided between the two of us. It's not, I don't decide it for people. We work together as a team. That's mm. why we use the word as coach. Yeah. And we started with um, increasing his social life in his social context. As I said, he had moved to a new place, was not, um, really hadn't developed any friendships. Mm-hmm. So an easy way to develop friendships or begin to at least increase the likelihood that you'll find a friend is to find um, groups that already exist. And for this individual, he was um, interested in sports. And so the first step was helping him to locate and then try out a local sports team, you know, people that do kind of, um, uh, I don't don't really know what the name for them would be, but they're sort of like community uh, groups mm-hmm. that are just getting together to play soccer or to play basketball or something like that. Yeah. Um, and that was the first step. He found a group. He would start. Um, he went a few times. Uh, this gentleman was pretty outgoing, so didn't have a problem um, introducing himself and starting to go for coffee or go out for a beer or something after the after the group. And as he began to uh, start having plans to go away from his home and out with people, 
uh, he actually began to make some connections, could even talk to people about wanting a different job. There was no magic here. It's not like, you know, I would like to say, and then he got offered a great job. Yeah. He didn't. Um, but he then was able, the next step was him actually at least trying to apply for better jobs. And I, I have to say his depression was improving. I worked with him for about 12 sessions of behavioral activation. Hmm. Um, research in, in the research protocols, people work together anywhere from 12 to 24 sessions or so. Mm -hmm. And in, in the real world, sometimes clinicians are working with people for a longer period of time than that. Mm -hmm. um, but so in, in 12 sessions, you know, over the course of a few months, um, everything didn't all fall into place in his life, but he was able to begin to act from the outside in, had increased his social life, was starting to respond differently, even at his current job, to where he was a little bit happier, even though he knew he was underemployed. Um, and he began to sign up for some training um, to get some uh, further uh, training that could increase the possibility of him finding a job that was a little more in his area. He had sort of lost some skills mm -hmm. over time and so was kind of re reconfiguring um, his his skills in some fairly technical areas by taking some classes. Mm -hmm. That was the course of treatment. Um, it sounds, Christopher, when you talk about him, it sounds like that um, uh, that that the person sort of goes into more of, um, I know that you've used the word approach, but it goes sort of towards their life instead of away from their lives. And, it, and, and then that it sort of generalizes when in other areas when they start going towards their life. Would you say that? I would say that's true. I, I would say that's accurate. What by talking about the therapy in general like this, though, um, what what's hard to sort of communicate because it's it's different for different individuals is that in approaching and going forward and toward one's life, you hit a lot of barriers and roadblocks along the way. Mm -hmm. Some of those barriers and roadblocks are those negative feelings or fears, um, a tendency to just want to avoid. Those are all things also that we deal with in turn in behavioral activation. And that's, um, we've, I say we, some of the colleagues of mine who have been writing with me over the years, we've started to say that the overall goal is engaging or moving towards your life. Mm -hmm. And this, and everything else that's part of the therapy is about identifying the barriers to doing that mm -hmm. and then helping an individual overcome those barriers. Okay. That that sounds um that sounds like a simple but but uh difficult thing to do so I understand it's good to have a coach. Christopher, we're getting towards the end of the program. Uh I'm sure there are listeners that feel like they've gotten to in stuck in uh, maybe some type of a negative thoughts or stop doing things they like. Do you have any advice you could give our listeners who might be experiencing that or have friends or family that are? Well, I think it's always helpful to go to find the person who can be the coach and to find a good behavioral psychologist or therapist. But I think for those folks who are stuck and not at this point wanting to be in therapy, I think identifying some of the small steps mm. that they can take to begin to take. It could be something as small as um, making a pact with yourself that you 
uh, cleaned your dishes every morning in your kitchen. Or for some people, even that you take a shower every day. Because sometimes when, we, when one feels badly, you, you don't even want to take a shower, especially mm -hmm. if you're going to spend the day at home alone. Um, start with those small steps. And then as you take one step, you then identify another. Mm -hmm. And it really is um, trying to move, you know, we can think of taking one step at a time. And um, the, the battle is really with the inertia. And so when you recognize that from the inside out, you would want to just shut down mm -hmm. to identify what are some of the activities from the outside that you can commit to. Sometimes it's helpful to have a friend or a relative or a, who can help you with that commitment. So say you want to take a walk and you haven't been out of your house for a few days, you might call a friend and plan a time to take a walk and then you are more likely to do it mm -hmm. um, because you're going to meet someone or because you've committed to someone. Um, I'll just say quickly that you have to be careful with making those commitments that you're not committing to someone who then ultimately will be kind of critical or judgmental of you mm. if you do if you do miss miss it at some point because we none of us are perfect and we can commit to something and still then not do it so you want someone who's going to be very supportive mm. of you in doing that that sounds like good advice Christopher thank you so much for being on the program today thank you it was my pleasure You've been listening to Dr. Christopher Martel. He's a psychologist and depression researcher. He's also a clinical associate professor at the Department of Psychology at the University of Wisconsin at Milwaukee. Christopher writes, consults, and speaks internationally about behavior activation therapy and maintains a private psychotherapy practice. He has written a number of books on this subject including a workbook that you might want to look at for individuals, individuals dealing with depression called Overcoming Depression One Step at a Time that he wrote together with Dr. Michael Addis. You can read more about Christopher and get a copy of his book by clicking on his homepage, uh, which you can by clicking on his name on this week's episode of Act Taking Her to Hope. Today we've learned that depression might be seen as a particular behavior pattern that hooks us into uh, a lack of inertia that zaps our lust for life and leads us away from those daily activities we love. And the main point Christopher teaches is that engaging in valued activities is key in helping ourselves even when we don't feel like doing them. Once we start behaving and getting active in those activities we usually love to do, feelings of lust and motivation may well follow. So thank you for joining us today. Thank you for joining us today. For more information about Joanne, please see her website at joannedahl.com or click on the host website button in front of you on the webtalkradio.net page. You may also see her books, The Art of Science of Valuing in Psychotherapy, Living Beyond Pain, Using Acceptance and Commitment Therapy to Ease Chronic Pain, Acceptance and Commitment Therapy for Chronic Pain, Values in Action, and Epilepsy, a Behavior Medicine Approach to Assessment and Treatment in Children. All of these are found easily by clicking the cover or going to Amazon.com. 
We hope you'll join us again soon for another episode of ACT, Taking Hurt to Hope.